0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Hum Live at the 8 After Show podcast, where today we
1: sat down with Yubu to discuss his roots in Kenya and how he made his way to Memphis and fused sounds from both cultures. Enjoy. Well, hey, you know what? We are live at Station 8 for The Hum Live at the 8 After Show podcast with Mr. So give me
0: the name. Is it Yubu Uzungu? Kazungu, yeah. Kazungu. Right. I mean, you you, you pronounced it right, just um, there's a little bit more emphasis on that K-A.
1: Kazungu. Kazungu. Right. All right, so I didn't entirely butcher it. Yeah. Cheers to that and cheers to you for your performance. Good to have you here, man. That
0: was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So those people that are tuning in right now Mm -hmm. have just seen your performance. Okay. But you have been playing music in Memphis for how
0: long? Um... That's a good question. Let me see because I moved to Memphis in 2010 um, to go to university, well, Memphis College of Art, um, and I I had just started learning how to play guitar, uh, but I really wasn't performing uh, around in Memphis or anything. I did start playing open mics in 2011, um, so after about like a year and a half of like learning how to play guitar. Uh, I was out there kind of, you know, going to some open mics. Uh, I remember the the most um, enjoyable open mic that I went to was at the Dublin House. I don't know if you know where the Dublin House used to be. I don't know if I know where it used to be, but I definitely know the Dublin House. It was House. like an Irish pub right opposite a Blue Monkey on Madison. Um, and oh, okay. I do yeah, remember that. Right.
1: Now it's the burger place. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, so uh that was great because um the host of that open mic was an amazing country singer. His name was um uh, Craig Davis, and he had a band and everything, and what they would do is use that platform to rehearse their songs, uh, but then they would also kind of just host that open mic so that they could have you know an official reason to be there mm-hmm. um, and I was this kid coming all the way from memphis college of art walking up um uh tucker street and then going on to madison and then uh going to dublin house to to you know to play songs that i'd written in my dorm room um but that was when i started playing officially started playing around memphis now professionally um that must have been in 2000 and. 13 towards the end of 2013 so we're Uh, talking
1: like what three years turnaround before you started playing guitar versus started playing professionally
0: yeah Yeah. wow because um you know for the for the longest time like uh memphis is kind of very uh memphis musicians are protective of their uh, musical territory you know Mm -hmm. and um
1: a little bit of a legacy to you know Huh? A little bit of a legacy behind yeah, it. So, I, yeah, you know, fair yeah, enough, I suppose. Exactly,
0: yeah. So, you know, you, you can't just be this kid from Kenya coming up here and, and, and you know, competing with with some of the uh, amazing Memphis musicians and expect to, um, you know, start playing right away, you know, at, you know, at actual gigs. Um, so it was one of those things where um, when I started playing, I felt like I was better than I was. <laughs> and, um, you know, Memphis folks are not, uh, they don't think twice about telling you if you're good good enough or not, you know. But the good thing is also they will help you uh, to, you know, cut your teeth and, and, and they, they'll, they'll help you get better at what you do. So um, at that open mic at Dublin House, I met um, a, a musician by the name of Kennard Farmer. He is actually from Florida, but he had lived in Memphis uh, for about seven years before I got here. And so he had already had his training and like um playing for memphis churches and stuff like that and you know i kind of went under his wing um and started picking up like what I, what i needed to pick up you know in order for me to play live music in memphis you know in the professional kind of
1: level so um yeah you know that's kind of interesting because the way that i got connected to you was uh talking to brad webb who's right. obviously he's, he's also joined us on the podcast actually but he said, I guess he saw you maybe at one of those open mic nights and was like, who is this kid? Like, yeah. and, and cause he's a teacher right? Right. and he, you know, he, he puts a lot out there for Memphis guitar and, and blues musicians, especially, but he's right. still tracking right now. But he was like, oh man, you got to talk to you, boo, because yeah. he just, he came here and just started jamming at these open mics. And then like, before we knew it, like two or three years later, matching your story perfectly, um, you're over here
0: doing it and doing the damn thing. Yeah, actually, um, when i first found out who brad was was uh the open mic that he does at, in rally yeah. uh at the rock house um and uh, what's strange uh it feels like deja vu now that i think about it like when when i came back to memphis cuz i left memphis in 2015 went back to kenya stayed there till uh 2019 august of 2019 oh wow and coming back to memphis was kind of like a it felt like I had to start from scratch uh because a lot of people hadn't seen me in so long and they didn't really know what I was doing and what I sounded like or what kind of music I do um and so I was back to pretty much playing open mics to start networking with people um so that I could get shows um and that's when I went to the uh open mic in Rock House and and kind of met Brad there you know and um I think he was uh, pretty impressed by how gutsy I was. You know, just yeah, go He doesn't up there he doesn't
1: give give out compliments unless they're earned. Right, you know? right. I, I appreciate straight that. shooter. I didn't even know he. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny because he he gave me your number. He's like, you got to call boo. And then like less than a week later, I get a phone call from you. I'm like, yeah. oh, This ha- this has to happen.
0: Well, and and then uh, Mike sweep and. Uh, Chris Johnson. That's right. They also yeah, because uh, Mike came in here and played. Yeah, yeah. And they had just yeah, they've been working on their album.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny how everything ties together. Right. Like Memphis is weird like that. Yeah, but yeah. you know what? Like more than that, I've been super excited to talk to you because okay. your history and the way that you've you've come to be here in Memphis is incredibly unique from what little I know. And okay. for people tuning in, like I really I'm, I'm gonna be learning with everyone that that's listening. But yeah, so I kind of caught bits and pieces in in the interview portion for the live at the eight but from Nairobi, Kenya. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. Like, let's go back to Yubu's childhood and like when music and life and culture and everything, like when did, when did things, how did, how, how did it all happen?
0: Um, so yeah, it, it is a long story. Let's um, hear it. No <laughs> rules, no time limits. We're just no chatting. Time, yeah. So, um, it was one of those things where, uh, I grew up in a family where um, music was not really uh, nurtured. Um, Music and art was kind of like one of those things where it's just a hobby and it's not really something that uh, you want to take seriously. So uh, pretty much throughout my whole childhood, um, I didn't know that I was uh, interested in pursuing music or um, even like had the ability to play music. Uh, What I did have a lot of passion for um, that I was allowed to actually pursue uh, was art. And um, that's because in our school curriculum, there was actually like an art uh, subject, you know, they would teach art in school. So I had the excuse to actually do it and say, well, I'm just doing it for school, you know, and so I, I got pretty good at, um, you know, art in terms of like drawing. I was I, I did a lot of comic books. Um, and the reason why I enjoyed doing comic books is because I could tell, uh, you know, stories you know and i'm i've, I've always been like a, a storyteller um deep in my heart like i've always wanted to uh tell uh stories that that will kind of you know i'm i'm also a libra so you know they they call us the weighing scale uh i like to tell stories that show people what it feels like to be in someone else's shoes um where did that come from that you think sense.
1: that's kind of a... It doesn't seem like a super common characteristic of Of people in the world. Well, people in the (laughs) world in general. It's, you know, to tell stories and have the intention to do so. Like, you obviously feel a lot of intention behind your stories, and it started at a young age, which is special. Yeah. So, like, did that come from somewhere specific, or was it just, like, born in you?
0: I think, uh, well, the Libra part, I think, plays a little bit of a – I'm not a big um, person on signs or anything, but – just hearing people kind of talk about like libras, I feel like that that might have been imparted on me in that in that sense, but um I know growing up my my parents uh had a lot of um uh, arguments and stuff uh in the household, and I remember as a child um just being a naive kid like just looking at them argue over uh like a piece of mail that was left on the table as opposed to like uh in the shelf or something you know um and and I would think at that time I would think well surely if I can explain to mom why dad is complaining about the letter then she's going to understand and if I explain to dad why she think it's she thinks it's ridiculous that you're arguing about the mail then he's going to understand and we'll all be a happy family you know but uh of course they they, they weren't just arguing about that piece of mail on the table it's just like a whole lot of emotions compounded you know years Mm -hmm. and years of relationships and stuff uh but in my mind i was thinking like if i can if i can explain to different parties like you know where the problem is um hopefully they can understand and and not be so mad at each other you know uh so that i feel like made me kind of go into that direction of hey guys hear me out i can fix this you know kind of thing
1: are you naturally a nurturer or
0: was it just something that was exclusive to what you wanted with
1: the relationship with your parents
0: uh i i came to find out that i am outside of um you know the relationship with my parents because uh i'm i I jumped into a lot of film work when i was in college and um i also started leading bands When I was filming, I was the director plus uh, the the, uh, cinematographer. So, you know, just telling people, directing people, telling them what to do to make whatever we're doing more effective um, uh, just came naturally to me as well as, you know, on stage just being the band leader. It also comes out in that way. So, uh, you know, I think it, it must be something that was is just naturally inside of me to like, you know, do that kind of stuff. So.
1: Right, so going to back to the story, mm-hmm. you're Nairobi Kenny. You're going to school. You're
0: doing art in school. Right. What happens next? So um, I start drawing these amazing comic books um, with amazing stories. Um, and are people acknowledging the your chicks, talent? Like the people around dig you? Oh, love it, man. The chicks. What grade are you
1: in, man? Are We talking like <laughs> elementary school as, chicks? You're already slaying them <laughs> before you're even in middle school. Is that
0: what's happening? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he's not lying. <laughs> It was uh it was pretty good. I mean, you know, nobody else was doing it, you know. And, yeah, here I was, you know, using my... Uh, you were the artsy was, one. That was my sex appeal, I guess, yeah. uh, just drawing these comic books. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, um, getting the attention from the girls and, you know, from my friends as well, um, it just gave it more validation that what I was doing was was cool, and I kept working on it, and um, it got to a point where I started to, you know, uh, kind of get inspiration from, like, movies and and live-action cartoons and stuff like that. And I started to realize that there are some limitations to telling a story in, like, a comic book um, setting or platform as opposed to, like, uh, having it on screen. Uh, And some of those limitations were uh, music. Like when I was drawing the uh, comic book, I could, I I was, I had like the soundtrack in my mind and I was like, man, I wish they could hear, you know, what, what I want them to hear when they're reading this Hmm. comic book, you know. Um, How old were you during this? uh, So I must've been like maybe 10 or gosh man, your gears were spinning talking about yeah, fixing right like <laughs>
1: relationships in the family like making yeah well of comic course. Books Th- and, this is
0: all kind yeah. of uh, just retrospectively thinking about it i guess you know I, I, back then i really didn't know yeah. uh, you know, i wasn't thinking about it this uh, profoundly um but you know when i reflect on it i'm like yeah this this is what i was trying to do you know mm-hmm. um but yeah so when i found those limitations in in, in the comic book world, um, I decided that maybe I should kind of figure out how I was going to, um, add music to my medium. Um, and so that's when I started kind of figuring out, well, maybe I want to start playing music. Um, of course, um, the first thing that came to mind was maybe I need to listen to a lot more music, um, to see how this works. So, um, maybe at like 12 13 i started listening to uh the radio a lot more than than i used to um and then i would listen to um you know whatever is popular and that would be where the reggae started to come in um a so lot yeah
1: of- so reggae so mm-hmm. you're listening like how did that come to be a part of the culture in Nairobi, kenya like what's what's the connection was it just something that it just identified with. Cause I mean, the music is, yeah. itself is very specific in what it's trying to give and portray.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, so reggae is, is from Jamaica. Um, but with the Rastafari culture, they believe that, um, uh, Hale Selassie is from, from Ethiopia. So, um, their Messiah is from Ethiopia and Ethiopia is right uh, next to Kenya. So like that's our neighboring country. Um, so, a lot of reggae music uh, seeped into Ethiopia.
1: And was that a belief system that's pretty common in that area of the world no, outside, well, outside of Jamaica?
0: Um, it's so it, the, the understanding of like Rastafari to some people is a religion, to some people, it's just a way of life. So, it's it's popular as a way of life to where people. Uh, Will take care of like their dreadlocks, or you know, they're not gonna eat meat um, and stuff like that. You know, they'll conduct their lives or live their lives in a certain way. Um, That's a lot more popular than people who actually believe that Haile Selassie was, you know, the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of the lifestyle associated with it. Right, right. right. So, so you think that was more prevalent, right? So, that lifestyle was a lot more. just globally actually is a lot more um, you know prominent and and True. it it kind of went into the music went we we started to get it in Kenya and um you know for some reason it just resonated with the people in Kenya you know so um like a lot of the clubs a lot of the public transportation because our public transportation um are are like buses mini buses and like big buses and stuff and and Uh, we don't have like, um, like a uniform kind of color code for like our public transport. Like every, every bus has like a different color or, or shade of graffiti (laughs) on, on it, you know? Um, and the music that these buses play for the most part is, is reggae music. So, you know, on radio, when I was listening to radio, I started listening to this reggae music and I'm like, oh, you know, this is pretty cool. Um, but it's not exactly what I want to have in my stories, you know, but it it was all over the radio, and I figured, well,
1: and it was your gateway into like a deeper relationship
0: with with music, music right mm-hmm. yeah, so um maybe uh a year and a half after kind of like having this reggae music kind of seep into me um i got i got into high school um and then I started to meet a lot of people who. Um, were uh, rebelling against like the popular music in Kenya, and uh, we're into like the that that was like the emo stage of my life where like and and I feel like that's when the Kurt Cobain stuff started to get so to. everyone
1: has one of those all over the world. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> maybe not everyone, but um, my friends and I definitely did. Um, Something universal about music is pretty cool, yeah,
1: it's a language that like, everyone can speak for yeah. sure
0: like when I heard uh so I didn't hear the nirvana stuff first i I must have heard um Lincoln Park was my first like uh gateway into like rock alternative rock and stuff, mm-hmm. and man, just listening to that stuff was like, oh what is this? you know, and then it you know it just had a sound to it to where I was like, this can actually fit in some of the stuff that I'm that I'm drawing here in these comic books, you know.
1: So your comic books, like, were they the subject matter? Was it
0: was it darker? Was it lighter? Was
1: it was uh, it good? Was it bad?
0: So the stuff that I did um, for myself or for um, you know the, the, for my audience, um, who I thought my audience was, was dark stuff. You know, like mm-hmm. like Batman esque kind of dark stuff. So where did know? that?
1: Where did you draw from to to put out? you know that, know that type what? of thing
0: that is a good question uh i think it just might have been like what i was going through in life Nature at the being. time you know yeah just maybe i just felt um that you know at the time that whatever i was because obviously again like art and music were not accepted you know uh and and there was all me trying not to conform and so maybe telling these Dark stories was kind of me, kind of uh, expressing my state of mind, you know, at that time. But um, again, just reflecting, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, when people would read my comic books, like you know, some of these church leaders and stuff, they'd be like, "Hey, can can you draw um, a story from the Bible? You know, from this verse and blah blah blah." And so I had those two, those moments where I would draw comic books for for like a church or something, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but you know, the, the subject matter that I liked to, uh, t- to deal with was like the more mature, you know, um, uh, serious subject matter. Um, and, and, and having said that the, the Lincoln park stuff that was <laughs> 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 talking about rebellion and what's that oh, song? Great. I've become so numb. Yeah. Like you... I'm like, yeah, everyone is, loves that song. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so eventually um, going through high school um, and and just thinking that um, this whole music thing was going to be a part of me and not knowing where I was going to start, you know, in terms of like, like how am I even going to start playing music? You know, it felt like such an uphill, daunting task that it took me about three years to, you know, actually decide, hey, I'm just going to pick up you know, a guitar and and see what, you know, what's going to happen, you know? So I was maybe, um, this is like a time jump, huge time jump. But so this is like when I was 17 or 18. Um, and then I found out that, um, the best way for me to get my hands on a guitar is if I, uh, go to church and, um, join the choir. Um, because the, the, choir members there they had instruments but the only way you could use them is if you um are singing for the choir so uh i guess i killed two birds with one stone there because i started to to sing and you know learn how to play guitar um at the same time kind of this was in high school this was right when i was uh, yeah maybe like a, a year before i graduated high school yeah okay so
1: how long were you doing that in kenya like when you started with the choir and you're singing right. and you're playing guitar maybe a little bit. Yeah,
0: that was like maybe a year and a half. Um, and really like, you know, when I joined the choir, it was mostly like, you know, me trying to hit on the girls in the choir and, and forgetting that I went there to actually learn how to play guitar, you know. So I didn't do much guitar work, but I will say that I did get a lot of um, my vocal kind of beginnings there. Uh, I would sing bass for the choir. Mm. So, um, you know, that I guess helped me to, uh, understand where everything sits, you know, musically. And, and then, you know, I started to begin to see the difference between like live music, uh, and performed music than, um, you know, soundtracks from like movies and stuff, you know, and so started to see how that's a different thing. Um, but i started to get really attracted to the idea of of performing music and 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 doing live music so
1: yeah it's interesting i think that plays into both of your styles quite well because ah. it's an it's a distinguishing factor in, in i think both the genres the energy that you bring in i mean in all live music mm-hmm. but i mean blues especially because right. that's something i'm much more you know familiar with but just the way that's given live and like the way i mean the way you are played it here i mean it it shows
0: yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a great kind of vessel of expression. Um and and if you have for me, I feel like it's 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 just a great opportunity, especially if you can play guitar and sing. Like it's
1: just yeah. Well, it's funny because I remember you were talking that night we were filming, you were like, Well, you know, uh, you know, me and the guys, we kind of just like to just play it like yeah. once or twice. And I, was it Robert, was it a guitar player? He was yeah. like Rob. Yeah. He was like like man you know i think i think that's just i forgot exactly what he said but he was basically just saying like at a certain point it just kind of loses its magic yeah you know and that that, that's just like one of the most memphis things ever heard it's like coming (laughs) in just want to lay it down yeah like one try we got it yeah you know and and i loved also that you took it from an angle of like it is what it is and it wasn't about perfection or making every fine little detail like exactly what it should be or whatever it's just simply what it is yeah
0: Respect for that. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, cool. Yeah. I know we're kind of jumping around here, but um, it, that's the same kind of energy that we took to the studio, like when we were recording the album that we did at Sun Studio. Shout out um, Sun Studio, Memphis, yeah. legendary. Yeah. Shout out uh, Daniel Crockett. He was the sound engineer there. Um, but it was, yeah, it was just one of those things where um, I think I got together with a bunch of guys here in Memphis who really. Um, appreciate that old school like let's just go in there and cut it live and um Raw. And see what happens I mean, it is what it is mm-hmm. and and I know uh you know when you study how they did it back in the day they must have been in studio like the whole day recording one song it was mm-hmm. never just like you know let's go in there and, and cut it you know with one take you know um but we for some reason like the musicians today have well, the ones that I'm dealing with anyway, we have that perception that if we play it right um, that first time, it's, it's going to be right.
1: You yeah. Know? So that's where
0: you leave it. Yeah. No, <laughs> Hopefully I'm put the pencil down. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, so going back to the story, we're getting out of high school, maybe at this point, right. Playing so, some music, kind of dabbling in the choir and all this. So what's, right. what's next?
0: So what's next is me having to stick to my guns and say, well, I've been doing art for so long. Uh I might as well This is with for, mom and dad? Yeah. I might as well stick to art and and um and get to an art college somewhere in the US. Um so Why why the US? Um because all my siblings got to colleges in the US. Um and and my dad worked for the American embassy uh in Kenya and he he was a huge advocate for us to come here so we can, you know, if we get our degree here, we can work anywhere in the world was his perception of it. Like we 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 can open up more uh, opportunities for ourselves um, if we don't just because we did study in Kenya for, you know, uh, elementary and high school. Um, and this is an opportunity to go out there and kind of expand our horizons. Right. So. That's a good perspective, you know, good point of view. I was like, yeah, that's cool. At the time, I didn't really want to move, but um, I think it was it was a good decision. I, and I could see the sense in it even when he mentioned it, you know, even if I didn't really want to move. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was up to me to figure out, well, if you want to keep doing art, you need to figure out how you're going to get a scholarship somewhere uh, with your art, you know, so... Um, you know, for about a couple of months, I put this portfolio together, um, and then I just sent it out to all the all the universities that I could here in the U.S. and and Memphis College of Art gave me the best scholarship. So um, rest in peace. Yeah, I know. Uh, mm, what a shame. Yeah, let's make a toast to yeah. MCA. Love Absolutely, that place. gladly. That, yeah, that was the best um, educational. Uh, institute that I've been to my whole life. Like, um, and I don't know if it was just because I was so used to like the Kenyan system of teaching and education that and my first encounter with like American uh academic institute was like, you know, MCA and and maybe I have like a soft spot for it because of that, you know, mm-hmm. but uh it was a good school. It was, it was a good school. Yeah. Right? And I mean the shit that I learned over <laughs> there um from my professors and you know just um, fellow students and stuff i mean just priceless um but yeah so getting a scholarship uh for my art gave more validation you know to me to continue to pursue art you know and and i got less of a pushback from uh, my parents when they saw oh, well he's pretty much paying for his own uh you know college tuition you know so I guess it, that means he's good, you know? <laughs> so um, I came over here and, and I started to dabble in animation. And, so this you was 2010? So, right. Okay. That was my opportunity now to transition from my um, comic book world and and now put my stuff into motion graphics and, and uh, into, um, you know, the world of cinematography as well because they offered uh, digital media, which was a combination of animation and... and um, and digital cinema so that's where I first got my kind of feet wet and into uh, all the animation softwares and the um, uh, editing softwares and stuff so um, yeah
1: so awesome so you come here Memphis College of Art you get a great exposure to different ranges of I mean it's just different expressions of art right right and you're pushing through would you have an emphasis on digital media and graphic animations things like that and only because you mentioned cinematography but we also talked about music which hasn't come into the story yet. Yeah. But you were you were you were doing cinematography and film at that point? Well, or were you just kind of learning the ropes?
0: Actually, when I when I first came in, I thought that the natural uh order of things was me to just go into animation, right? Because then I was already drawing my characters and stuff, so I just figured, well, I'll just I'll just put them on Animate screen. them. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the problem was um, that I started to realize that being in front of a screen uh, for so long and creating these characters by myself and animating them by myself um, was really limiting my creativity. Um,
1: again, yeah. just like with the comics. Yeah. <laughs> like, lack of music, like, here we are again. Yeah, damn
0: it, damn it. <laughs> um uh, you're you're noticing patterns that I hadn't noticed before. Uh, but anyway, so uh, it's I was at the same time as I was doing the animation stuff, uh, I was also getting uh, to take some courses in in film. And so one of the assignments was, hey, you need to uh, create a short film uh, about two minutes long. Um, and so what goes into creating a film is finding actors. Uh, getting your crew together, uh, writing a script, um, editing the the script with the class, you know, uh, to where we would read out the script uh, to each other in class and kind of figure out, you know, what's working, what's not. And that process, I remember when I went through that semester, that process of just working with with people, like scheduling um, times to meet, and and figuring out what my actor's strengths were because project management, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, People don't like to like put like such formal words yeah. on it because it's production <laughs> and it's cool. But that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. You're a project
1: manager. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that that's that's cool. I'll take that. Yeah. But that that actually, uh, I was it it just I I I felt so much in love with it because it was not just me sitting in front of this screen, figuring everything out by myself, you know, now I could get input from uh, everyone else and kind of be surprised by uh, the strengths that maybe one of my actors had or one of my uh, sound guys had, and it would just make the project that much more dynamic, you know. Um, And so realizing that took me away from like the animation world, um, and then it also started to inform my process when it came to like working with musicians outside of the art world now, so um, just finding people um, in these different open mics, musicians that I saw had potential to either play with me or me play with them. Uh, i started to just use some of those skills to be like hey uh do you want to come over and jam so we can do these songs together and and go out and perform them you know um and then that started to um kind of contribute to my musical journey as well so um it 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 feels like a like a cycle <laughs> uh but right after I started to get, like, the, the the good music coming out of, like, playing with different musicians, um, I started to realize that, hey, maybe I should actually get a band together by myself and, you know, work on songs, um, and then eventually, when, once I figure out how uh, music works, you know, in the music world, then I can come back and put music into uh, to my films and my stories, so...
1: So were you making music that you were really confident in by the time you were finishing school, like already? Were you kind of already marrying the two?
0: Uh, I felt like I was. But, you know, <laughs> Looking back, yeah. maybe you feel different? Oh, very different. <laughs> I mean, that, that shit was horrible. Hey, yeah. But we got to start somewhere. Absolutely. So the short films were also pretty uh, horrible, too. Um,
1: so when you came to Memphis and you were doing this, how did you feel just about the energy of the city? I oh, mean, was- I mean, the art and everything is pretty – I mean, art is general. Everyone can enjoy it, but the Memphis version, right. it's pretty specific. There's something special to it in the city itself. It's just an energy that some people can maybe define it, others struggle, but it's something different nonetheless.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I, I was in an interview uh, maybe like three months ago or something, and someone asked me like, what my craziest experience in Memphis was. And I, I didn't have an answer to him at that time. Uh, but you know, just thinking back on it, you know, a few days after that interview, um, I just remember like what it felt like to to walk into the civil rights museum the very first time. Um, or uh just being on Beale Street like the very first time. Mm-hmm. Uh and you when you talk about energies, like pff, Yeah. Th- there's just like an energy in Memphis that you know. Um, it's like what happened to there
1: creatively and artistically is so intense that it just resonates. It's, it's it continues crazy. to exist.
0: Yeah, like you know, and 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 I I could definitely feel it. Um, I still feel it when I'm performing on Beale or just walking up there. Or
1: that's what I was gonna say that's why I asked you at the beginning of the podcast. I feel like people have probably already seen you, whether it be <laughs> at shows or on Beale Street
0: or m- maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, it's it's and then it's 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 difficult for me because i'm not from memphis uh and getting close at this point yeah i hope so uh I, I feel like like an imposter sometimes when i'm performing up there because it's like well the tourists came up here to see what memphis is you know and, and i'm this guy from kenya you know uh but I mean you connected to music in your own way in the same way a Memphis
1: musician would or any musician might I mean you connected to music very profoundly at a young age but you just so happened to crash land and you know a a music uh, Mecca yeah a Mecca you know Memphis is really special and I think it's you, you made a comment earlier about how the Memphis musicians were protective, but they also right. acknowledged what you were putting out and where you were headed yeah. and took some time to invest in you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a testament to Memphis, you know, that, that in and of itself is an opportunity to to grow as a musician, but also to, uh, you know, connect with the people and, the, and, and everything that like, you're, you're now a part of the, of the next wave of the next generation right. of what's moving the dial of Memphis music and Memphis legendary forward, mm-hmm. you know, and the way that, you know, we don't want to jump too far over, but the way that you've blended together the sounds from, you know, music that you enjoyed in your mm. country and what mm. was you know, native to you Right. and the same way you've taken that music that's native to the people here and, and made something unique and special. Right. It's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, the roots have some sort of uh, what you call it, energetic parallel, if you will.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, just thinking out loud now and hearing you say that, like, that's, uh, I guess, part of me trying to, uh, to be that balancing scale again, and trying to explain to people in the reggae world, hey, you know, blues is not that bad, and to the reggae people, I mean, the blues people, that hey, reggae is not that bad, um, or kind of just um, show the commonality. Yeah, and the the best way I, I I can explain this is like when I perform live shows anywhere on Beale or. Um, in a small dive bar somewhere, um, I I can play like a couple of blues songs, um, and folks are really into it. And when I jump into like a, a reggae song right after that, it just just revives the energy of the of the the show, you know. Because it's like, well, we didn't expect that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds great, you know. Um, so there's like an appreciation of. Uh, both genres of music um but sometimes it's just in the way that you present it so some people will go to a reggae show and they really can't stand listening to reggae all night long you know like and same to other people like they just don't want to listen to blues all night long uh but when you fuse them together and and you know you give them a little bit um in in different parts of the show it just makes it such a complete experience you know and so um that's kind of been my experience with it and i feel like once again once if once i figure out how to put those two genres in like a just like one single genre like if i can just combine them in a way that is uh, comprehensive you know to where it it feels like it's uh it it coexists in the same world um i think that that will be like my uh apple falling from the tree uh that's that's the one that's the moment that's the moment man so well how did how
1: did reggae come into play i mean playing memphis and blues music like i mean i got that part of the story but when did did you play reggae first here or did you play it secondary i mean how did it all come
0: about like the reggae end uh i actually played it second here so interesting uh, yeah even though that's
1: what you were like that was rooted in
0: inside yeah it was inside of me before um I even realized that it was um so the the artist that I told you about Kennard Farmer he he um put me under his wing and it turns out that he was a reggae fan. And so when he started to play some reggae songs I was like oh I think you're doing that wrong. <laughs> 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 but I couldn't tell him because I was like well uh, you know he's been my my mentor musically for for, for so long I got you know I just, you know, so, I, but... Just let him be. Yeah. Um It's not that it sounded bad, but I I could just tell, like, some of the uh, intricacies were, you know. Um And so, um eventually, after kind of going to a few reggae shows with him and stuff, I, I was like, well, I'm not really impressed by how people are playing reggae here. Maybe I should, you know, dabble into it and see if it's as hard as... Because I, I could see... I could I felt like I could figure it out if I played it, but I I never really tried to play it. Mm-hmm. But immediately I started to play it. Like I had people coming up to me and saying, Hey man, you, you know, you sound like Bob Marley, you know. Um there's this one guy, uh Zeke Johnson. I don't know if you you um knew Zeke. I don't think so. He's like an old kind of blues guy. He passed away in like 2015 or something, mm. but um a respectable blues artist here in Memphis. And and he was the first guy to you know pull me aside and say, hey man, I I know this, uh this might sound like a, you know I don't want you, your head to get big or anything, but when you start to play that reggae stuff, like you know you just take me back to the Marley days, you know, and you know after that I kept hearing more and more um, positive about, feedback, right, mm-hmm. about my reggae um, than my blues, and and it was like well the the my, like with my accent and the qua- and the tone of my voice like it just fit better with the with the reggae stuff um to a lot of people and so that's kind of how I, I was like well maybe i should actually start playing reggae a lot more um uh and and i started i still couldn't get rid of the blues bugs so i kept playing blues but the reggae came after and and um i stuck with it too
1: do you feel like there's any I guess like tangible or, or, or ways that you can verbalize like a commonality between the two music genres and just like how they originated because they're both yeah like you know we say soul for blues music but I wouldn't exactly take that word away from reggae either you know uh-huh. it's it's different expressions and different formats but I'm just wondering because not every music you know it's not the same as when you're listening to Kirk Band like you were talking earlier
0: it's that's right. different it's <laughs> a different thing yeah I mean it's it's they definitely kind of um they both are like genres of music where they came from is like from uh, a place of oppression of black people. Um, so like with blues, like being sung in, uh, in you know, uh, plantations and stuff. When, when they were working, they would sing spirituals, which turned into blues. Um, and then, um, of course, with reggae music, when they were struggling for independence, the youth in Jamaica would kind of uh try to write songs that would communicate their plight um to the government by you know writing reggae so mm-hmm. and it um, unified right right so um you know the, they they were both kind of genres of music that were uh, that were born out of this kind of oppression so philosophically that 's their connection mm-hmm. to each other musically, the connection to each other is that they're both one four five uh um Music genres, which means uh, uh you play the one, the second chord is the four, the third chord is the five. So in blues, that's that's the formula, and in reggae, that's the same formula. Hmm. It's just in reggae there's the skank, what, and then in blues it's more of like a you know either a shuffle or a slow blues, but it's the same chords. Um, same prog- same progression, um, just a different kind of uh, voicing in the chords, you know. So um, the blues came first and, and formed the reggae, because if you look at the history of reggae music, you'll notice that um, um, the reggae artists um, in Jamaica really, um, or the artists in Jamaica, musicians in Jamaica, were trying to imitate um the the blues musicians here in America. Um, and then what, really? hap- right. hmm. what happened is once they started to try and play um, the songs from America and th- they couldn't pull it off the exact same way. So their take on the songs had that skank in it. And it's like, w- what is that? What is that skank? You know? And the more they started to embrace that skank, uh, the more um they started to have an identity in their music so uh, it went from ska music which was like very uh fast paced um, skanking mm-hmm. and upbeat um and then after that went to the rock steady stuff to where they were trying to uh step away from just instrumental uh upbeat ska music to have vocals in in um in the music uh, and then, after the rock steady music, they would start to do reggae, which uh, was stepping away from just love songs and starting to talk about like political messages and mm-hmm. and and rastafari uh in 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 the lyrics um, so there's a lot of kind of and if you listen to some of the covers um like there's a very popular song here um that I'm trying to remember. Uh, that has like a blues version and a reggae version. Hmm. Um, that will show you like the they're basically one and the same. Um, I'll remember it at some point. Well,
1: so that's 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 a lot that's been established. But um, yeah, how did the band form? Like the project that you're in now. I feel like at this point you're playing blues in Memphis. You're playing reggae in Memphis. You've been learning for a while. You're jamming around, mm. so and then. But actually, before we get there, I think we have to go back because I just remembered. So, 2015, you head back mm-hmm. for four years. So why? What's going on?
0: So I went back because I said, "Fuck America." No, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> the plot
1: thickens. Yeah right.
0: <laughs> uh, fuck the man! I'm going back home. Nah. So, um, so when I came here, I came on a student visa. Okay. Uh, the student visa run out in 2014 when I graduated, and then we have like a one-year extension after your student visa runs out um, where you're supposed to get a job, and then um, you're supposed to get a work visa to stay in America. Um, and so I did get a job. I worked for Diddy TV for like a year and a half Okay. Um, here in Memphis. When I went back to Kenya, I still worked for him, but remotely um but what happened was um that i started i learned that with the visa process like when you are not working for an academic institution or a health facility uh you're not guaranteed a visa so they put you in a lottery um and then they just you know put every immigrant in a lottery in america and they pull out like a quarter of the percentage of you know and so obviously I I didn't make the lottery (laughs) (laughs) and so I had to so I had a few months to to go back home um either it was either that or um for me to stay and do like a master's degree and at that time I just wasn't feeling like getting going back to school so I went back home and um when i got there you know it just it felt good to be back home after like 5 years in america mm-hmm. um and i felt at the time that i wanted to you know just kind of reestablish my roots back home and and figure out what i wanted to do with my music back home um and that led me to recording my first album um in in kenya um where can we find it oh everywhere uh just uh under just what Spotify. name Uh, on the run okay yeah and and so here's a fun fact actually before i figure it out figured out how to um, uh, basically uh, arrange my musical um, adventures and stuff i would have the name of the album and then i would have a side a and side b so i had on the run side a was reggae side b was blues oh that's cool yeah but then you know it was it was so confusing to like booking agents and 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 um people that wanted to book me uh or you know wanted to find out what I was about you know to where I just had to make that distinction like this is the reggae album this is the blues album but there's no side A or side B you know so I had to kind of separate the the two albums so I had an on the run album and then a bad case of love album so the bad case of love was blues on the run was reggae um, and then, so I was working on those two albums when I went back home. I also released them at the same time, but I was also performing at a um, at a restaurant back in Kenya called The Blues Restaurant, um, and basically, that's kind of where I started to really uh, perfect my onstage performance. Um, I would play there every Friday, um, every Friday for about, two and a half years or you know maybe even three years um and that's how I kind of learned where my strengths are vocally um where my strengths are in terms of like selecting songs uh, and and kind of um interacting with my band members and stuff like that um so it was a good period like a good five-year period for me when I moved back to Kenya because I kind of buckled down on myself as a solo artist and released official um, music and also um, kind of perfected my on-stage uh, performance. And then after that, I came back to America to do my master's. So you came back for school? Yeah, I came back for school. Um, also because I really, really, really missed Memphis. And, you know, for some reason I thought that when I came back, it would be like, time didn't move and I would be moving back to Memphis in 2015 as Mm -hmm. opposed to 2019 and obviously when I moved back you know everything had changed not everything but you know people's people's lives people moved on you know uh, the girls that I was crushing on got (laughs) married (laughs) Um, but yeah so um, that's that's how I ended up coming back here Um, and now we're here station eight So (laughs) (laughs) the end. So, so, um, are are you still in school now? I am. Oh, wow, man. Yeah. So I'm on a, uh, it's a three year, um, uh, grad program and I've done two years. So next year will be my last year. And then I'm going to have like that one year extension. Sure. And then I'm probably going to, uh, stick around and work for a school somewhere, um, to, you know, maintain presence. Yeah. Maintain my, uh, presence in the united states of well
1: so you came back tell me now it's yubu and the ancient youth mm-hmm. how did how did it, how did it form and who are you playing with we, um, we see them and we have the names and, You know, everyone's watching probably probably you know right. reads it but tell me about the people
0: so that's that was a pretty uh, uh cool kind of collection of musicians that i lucked out in getting because um when i came back like i said before People hadn't seen me for, like, five years. They had no idea uh, what it is that I did, how good I was, or how bad I was, you know. Um, And so a lot of the musicians that I'm gigging with now were so busy um, gigging with other folks that they didn't have time to, you know. Hey, can you come rehearse? Uh, Like, "Mm, I don't know about you, you know. I don't know. I don't want you to mess up my money, you know. And so I had a hard time finding musicians that would actually want to play with me. Uh, and I didn't luck out until uh, COVID happened and everything slowed down. You don't down. hear that very often. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. But when the pandemic I was going to say you moved back
1: and then it was like, boom, COVID. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then everyone's busy schedule just fizzled down and and-, and that gave me the opportunity to, to call up these guys that, you know, and, and offer to pay them with, you know, the little pennies that I had saved up. Um, and, you know, once they, uh, came and started playing with me and we, you know, kind of rehearsed a few times, um, it just, it made sense, more sense to them, made sense to me as well. And, you know, it just started to work from there. So, um, Kari Nguyen, of course, uh, he's played with public enemy uh he still kind of works with them on a production level like when they have um when when they put out albums and stuff he'll kind of put down a guitar part or or figure out like a song arrangement uh which is great like you know when he was younger he um he was just doing the the he was just a road warrior you know just going out there playing the shows Mm -hmm. but now he's getting more into the uh behind the scenes stuff and, you know, the older you get, that's kind of really where you want to be at. Yeah, you know? it seems like a good progression. Right. Um, and then Robert Allen Parker, you know, he's played for all the best musicians here in Memphis. Uh, Hope Claiborne um, and the rest, you know. Yeah. Um, and he has an intensity to his uh, musicality that is is just.
1: Man, he know. was he was like a quiet, humble soul. And then right. he, he got the camera turned on and Ooh. the music started coming Man, he was throwing down. Yeah. Like the like the best footage was just him just yeah. jamming, man. I loved yeah. it.
0: It was yeah. awesome. He's he's something else, man. When when so we're cool. on stage, uh I need to take like two or three hits of Jameson before I can get on <laughs> his level because he's just like he's a beast. Not only is he energetic, you know, in terms of his stage presence, but what he's playing is just It was incredible. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh so yeah, he 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 was one of the uh Actually, one of the first people to actually encourage me to, um, to, to, to write some new songs. And, and he helped me uh, to arrange and write a lot of the stuff that is on the two new records, uh, Cast a Spell and uh, Bring Me Water, which is also available anywhere, Spotify. And all so that when, when did you release those? 2020. Okay. Yeah, so last year. COVID. Yeah. So yeah, when I when COVID hit, I just called them up and I told them, "Hey guys, uh, I, I want to record this album. Can you guys come and help me? Uh, I'll pay you uh, to come and help me record." And they're like, "Well, since we're not doing anything, why not?" You know. Yeah. Uh, and then Don and Johnson, he's a drummer. He he um, he used to play with Chinese Connection, Dub Embassy, which which is one of the Memphis staples for reggae music here. You know actually here in tennessee you know so hmm. uh, they're pretty pretty well known um that's a dude that lights up the room when he comes into it yeah yeah it's a powerful
1: personality in the best way possible I, he was I, he was awesome to work with
0: i give him a microphone when we're on stage too so because he <laughs> he's awesome man uh, yeah i can talk to the crowd but he has a uh he 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 adds definitely a lot more he's
1: um, just cool he's smooth right you yeah. know he just got it about him yeah, he, he knows it, work. though. That's problem.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he just left right before we yeah, started. Yeah, I can yeah. say that. And, We're okay. And the ladies
0: <laughs> the ladies love him, too. So it's like, hey, eh, uh, if you're going to get us tips by having a microphone on stage, sure thing. Yeah. Uh, even without it, man. He just... He's, he's one of those people, yeah. man. He's got it. Yeah, he's got it, definitely. So uh, there's him. And then, uh, of course, Henry, Sir Henry on the Keys, Henry mm-hmm. Booker. He's, he's a great keyboard player, just... Uh, church musician slash Beale Street musician um and he was meeting him was kind of like uh, very random he he was playing a show somewhere with um Donnan and Donnan's other band um and it turned out that um he was playing a really good solo and I was like hey uh, I might want to use him at some point mm-hmm. so I got his number and um of course I leveraged and oh yeah, you know I'm I'm Donnan's friend. Do you want to come and play with us? And and you know, once he heard Donnan, uh he came over and played. Um, but like the combination of those musicians, uh, it just makes for a sound that uh, you know is it, it is Christ blues and it is
1: reggae, us. but it's it's something. There's something special to it. It's like a, it's almost Memphis like a progression. It. Yeah, it's yeah. like a again moving the dial forward mm. a bit, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, it still is what it is, but. There's something different,
0: yeah, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, I I know, I know Henry is not a uh, a reggae keyboard player. I know, um, couldn't tell.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: right. <laughs> I've been I've been on their asses lately, and I am just playing. <laughs> I know Henry's not a, a keyboard player who does reggae or enjoys doing reggae. Um, and then um, you know, Robert Allen Parker. He he also. Um, Typically doesn't do a lot of reggae. Um, definitely, Kari Wynn does not do reggae, uh, but uh, Donan has a, such a huge grasp on reggae music because he played for a reggae band for about ten years. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and Kari's a fast learner. Um, so when we all kind of just come together and, and and play it, you know the influence that Rob brings with his uh, bluesy guitar playing and and uh, the churchy stuff that Henry does on the keys, uh, it just makes that reggae sound like something straight out of you know yeah out of Memphis. <laughs> 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 so um, yeah, that, that's I love playing with those guys. That, that's that's the cast. That's the ancient youth. So
1: what's coming up then? I mean, so you, you released the two albums, mm-hmm. the Reggae and the Blues album last year.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what's next? So I I I am planning on doing one more kind of what what really those two albums what they were um, was just a way for me to kind of figure out who my band was going to be and see what their potential was. But now that we've been playing for like a year, we we understand each other a lot better. And and I think we're ready to actually cut like a more intentional album, so that's 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 what's next is like writing songs for this um a very intentional you know, album that is gonna win all the grammys and all the and it's gonna make us how'd you how'd you land
1: shit. at sun for recording that's where you recorded the last two albums right yeah
0: so man that's another crazy story yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we I, we mentioned earlier but yeah gotta hear the the details uh so it's, it's this, not it's just
1: you don't i haven't talked to anybody like i told you like mm-hmm. that, you know especially my age it's just like hey man yeah been at sun all right tracked all night yeah in classic and new form <laughs>
0: Uh, so this one guy. So before I left Memphis uh, in 2015, um, there's there's a guy by the name of Steve Mayer that was very interested in what I was doing um, with the band that I was working with at the time called The Three Kings, and what he was offering was a session at Ardent, um, and he was going to record us at Ardent, and we were going to get do three songs and release those three songs, um, and the crazy shit is the day before um, that session was supposed to be was the last day that I was supposed to be in the U.S. So like oh, if man. I was if I was there for like an extra hour or whatever extra day, uh, you know, not a good situation, right? So <laughs> I I just I called them up. I was like, hey, I, uh, I got a notice that I have to be out by you know the day before um the session. So um I didn't get to work with him, and I went back home for five years and I came back uh one of the nights I was out at a uh, at the new high tone there was a a band playing up there and he happened to just be there watching the band play and he was like oh, you boo I didn't know you're back man I was like oh yeah I'm back uh like let me get your number man let's let's work something out now that you're back Uh, i was like okay cool um so it turns out in those five years he got to network with uh the sound engineer at sun his name is daniel crockett um and so steve hooked me up with that session uh at a huge discount um just by recommending me to to crockett and just music that he knew needed to be recorded Yeah. yeah um and, and yeah, sure enough, um, um, when I got into the studio and we kicked it with, with Crockett, you know, it was just magic. so um, so if you felt you felt it, Oh yeah, oh wow. yeah. I, I think you that's know, so cool, man. Yeah, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of like the, the long story about um, Well, how does it feel to know
1: that you are now the modern and current generation? That's responsible for music moving, <laughs> you know, Memphis energy and like Memphis legendary and all that you do. And and also, you know, your own music and stuff that's been important to you in your own country. Like, how, right. how does it feel to know that you're part of the, the movement, the current one, the one that's moving
0: the dial forward, as we said? Uh, it feels it feels good because I know a lot of people don't really they're not really looking at me like that. So there's no response. I don't feel a responsibility <laughs> or pressure. I don't feel any pressure because people aren't really uh, like, you know, they don't they don't expect that from me. So it's I feel like just I'm, what's uh, happening. I'm an underdog kind of. Yeah. yeah. Just just make, you know, making it happen the way I, that I can. Uh, so that that's a good thing. Um, but I definitely um, feel like the 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 urgency or the need to um to bring back or not bring back but to 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 maintain that kind of like legacy of uh playing quality live music um that's like coming straight from the heart straight from the soul and, and you know uh hopefully you know by keeping that intention alive like when whenever i hit the studio you know um next time or, or the times that i have uh, hopefully it's just, you know, inspiring someone out there who might be the next, you know, BB King or uh, the whatever. next generation, next generation, next, next, next generation. So,
1: well, yeah. I can't think of really any better way to end this than with that statement, because that's a very cool. powerful one. Oh, and yeah. I know we could keep going because I'm sure you have stories for days, but I do. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, I have to say, I have to take some time and just thank you um, for coming and being a part of this and working with Station 8 and playing for live at the eight and doing the hum and putting on an incredible performance. That's I good. know we're, we're excited to, to release it and stand behind it as something that, you know, is a way of uh, preserving and documenting the movement. If you will, hey, someone, yeah. someone's got to do that too, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. all a piece of the puzzle, yeah. but um, where can people find you? Where can people find the music? Give it one more time and name of the band, Spotify, social media, where can they find yeah, you? So
0: if you just type in, uh, Yubu music, um, That will all the social. I can't imagine. There's a lot of those. Yeah, there's yeah, (laughs) there's the only one. So at Yubu Music on Facebook, at Yubu Music on Instagram, at Yubu Music. uh, That's my website. Uh, I think on Twitter, um, I'm also at Yubu Music, but I'm not pretty big on Twitter. Um, But uh, just type in Yubu Music on Google, Um, you'll find me on Spotify, uh, Amazon, YouTube, everywhere everywhere yeah. all right well you boo.
1: thank you man thank you for thanks for up. having me man I Absolutely. Mean,
0: this was a lot of fun it was more fun than i expected it to be oh well i'll take that as a compliment <laughs> <laughs> cheers man all right
1: thank you guys for tuning in uh if you want to check out any of our other content you can visit our website at station8productions.com or our youtube channel youtube.com backslash station8productions thanks